that which they wish to do. And they don't speculate. Even if you think they're speculating about the future they wish to bring in, they're not speculating. They plan it and they implement the plans. That's the frightening part. To realize that your governments and so on are not there to protect you. They never have been there to protect you. The governments are there to fulfill a mission. And only a few people really run the world, very wealthy people, who belong themselves and were set up in the beginning by secret societies that blossomed in the period of enlightenment. They had to create the money to control the planet, which they did, and set up the families to do so. We're back with more after this break. the matrix. The matrix is the big stem that comes from the womb of reality. It creates reality, as they used to say in the ancient times. And we have been given a particular reality, and being normal, ordinary people, we accept it. We accept those little things that are near and dear to us, the people around us, our families, friends, and so on. And we think that's about it. We don't realize they're big, powerful organizations that really are all linked together as one that have been running the world for a long time, along a predestined path, which they've written about extensively, and they're still churning the books out today, if you want to keep buying them, that is. But all it does is reinforce that which you already know. There are still people who truly do live in ignorance, and they've chosen what they want to believe, regardless of the evidence that's given to them on any particular topic. People tend to choose their belief systems, they go shopping for them, in fact, very early on, and they pick the one that suits them. They also pick the targets that are presented to them to pick, to choose from. And because of that, they never see any big picture. We run by deception. And again, to run deception, you must keep publishing lots of ulterior books, alternate books, which, which pick your targets for you. And once again, you're kept in a little tunnel. You don't see the big picture. This is also intentional. Propaganda is not new. It uses every technique of media and so on. And someone was emailing me for a few times saying, well, what about China? What about China? You see, because China, as the media hypes it up, is, is expanding at incredible rates. And uh, here you are with an economic depression, which is brought on artificially on, on, on time, on cue, at the right time, as we're going to get hammered with carbon footprint taxes as well and bring the world into one and regions and all the rest of it. And here they are worried about China because the media tells them to. And I said, you don't have to worry about China. I've just been talking about the population control agenda for the world and in the West, that they're still worried about China. I said, don't worry about China because they'll be feeding their own people there at the bottom the same junk as they fed us for the last 50 years. The same soft drinks and all the rest of it, and others laced with mercury, as we well know. And they become sterile as well through all the inoculations and the phthalates that are in their food, same as we have been getting to for 50 years. And in the long term, and this is how it's always worked, it's incremental, long-term, intergenerational planning. People lived 100 years ago, they went through this whole agenda to this present time, up to this present time and beyond. And they were not speculating. 
And the oddest thing is, when you read their books, you say, my God, I've lived through a good part of this. This was implemented, and that was implemented, and I hear that you're going with the next part. They don't guess at things. They plan them. They have the financing and the organizational ability and the power to implement them, and that's what they do. And when they start killing off the people under population control, they don't tell the children, and we are all the children. Simple as that. Simple. And you know something? It's always been that way. It's always been that way if you really understand history. Here's an article that ties right in with us from the BBC News Channel. 1st of February 2009. China birth defects up sharp, sharply, it says here. A senior family planning official. You see, they have family planning officials. That's what's coming here. I've read the articles over the last week or so. That we used to copy China who the UN has said is a model state for the world. I've, I've said that so many times. They have to repeat things to people so that they can get and understand the message. A senior family planning official in China has noted an alarming increase or rise in number of babies with birth defects, a Chinese media report says. Yang Fan from China's National Population and Family Planning Commission, I'll repeat that for the harder thinking, China's National Population and Family Planning Commission that's for the guy who keeps emailing and saying public China. You have a commission that deals with it. Said environmental pollution, so blaming the environment, you see, was a cause of the increase. So very quickly, the propaganda in China, because they've been at this for thousands of years. So the coal mining heartland of Shanghai province had the biggest problem. China has reported the trend before, and it was not clear if Mr. Jiang was commenting on new or old statistics. Of course it won't, and that's how they do it in China. A 2007 commission report said the rate of defects had risen 40% since 2001 from 104.9 per 10,000 births to 145.5 in 2006. Officials blame, and they're very good at that in China too, emissions from Shanxi's large coal and chemical industry for the problems there. The problem of birth defects is related to environmental pollution. You keep repeating it over and over, and that's how they do it in China, to make sure you get their point <laughs> as they throw you off the main track, especially in eight main coal zones, the director of Shanghai Provincial Family Planning Agency said. Mr. Yang said a child was born with physical defects every 30 seconds because of the degrading environment. Correspondents say the report suggests there is a human cost to China's rapid economic development. There's always been a human cost in China. Read your history. Researchers also blamed exposure to nitrogen dioxide, carbon monoxide, and particulates for the increase. Number of newborns with birth defects is constantly increasing in both urban and rural areas, China Daily Newspaper quoted Mr. Yang as saying. The rather alarming increase has forced us to kick off a higher-level prevention plan, one of it will give them. The Commission had introduced a screening program in the eight worst affected provinces, Mr. Yang said. So, see, they're, they're going at it, and that's why they could put into those, those army think tanks that have read for the next 30 odd years that the, the predictions for the next 30 odd years that around 2030 that China will, will be drastically falling in population. They didn't say why, they just said it'll be drastically falling. But they also know they have more males the female ratio. They've encouraged, of course, that thing for ages in China, that particular method of keeping boys alive and killing off the baby children. And 
they have an official department for national population and family planning. That's their commission, you see. That's what we're going to get to. We actually have them. It's just that they haven't told you yet. It's more covert in the West. More covert. And I've been reading from art, from books, from the big players, the guys who gave you the future, who were in all the biggest think tanks of all, and who sat in all the big meetings for the future, going back since the 1920s or more up to the present time. And the next million years is interesting by Charles Galton Darwin, who wrote this in the 1950s. He himself was a physicist who was really into biology, in fact, rather than physics, and how to basically turn us all into eunuchs, which was his prime. He was very gleeful about that. He got excited when he talked about that. But he was a big player, and when he wrote, it wasn't because he was coming out of, of, with these particular imaginings from his own mind. It was because he knew the agenda, he was part of it, and they were already implementing it in the West. I've given you the reports. It's on my site, too. You can see the, the documentary made by the CBC on the fact that most of the males in the Western world are almost sterile, and it's increasing. That's not by chance. You don't put things, artificial hormones, in your food for 50 years without knowing the effects. And they knew the effects of these particular artificial hormones back in the late 1800s. And now, of course, as I say, we've found out we've got mercury in it as well. And most of the, over half of the the items you buy at the supermarket has been there for 40 years. This is war. See, this is how you create war, world war for an unsuspecting public. What would happen if the public knew at the beginning when they had all their faculties and their health and their brain power going and their survival capabilities? You'd do something about it very fast. The reason you can publish this stuff today is because it's worked and there's no reaction. It's worked, you see. It's interesting here, in the next million years by Charles Gordon Darwin, I'll say the big player, and this is what he said. He's talking about China. He says, sometimes it has been advanced by important new discoveries, such as the invention of printing and so on and so on. At the time, there's been liability to famines in China all the time, in its whole history, which have killed off millions, it says. The perpetual presence of a margin of starving humanity has set a low value on human life and has made for callousness in regard to the sufferings of the people. Things don't say that this has led to much cruelty of the kind we are unfamiliar with, and it, though he mentions the fact we had similar problems during the plague eras of Europe, because starvation was rampant as people stopped farming, they were dying off. Then he says on page 199, it says this. It, mind you, he, he admires the Confucian way, the philosophy. He says it's lasted far longer than any of the philosophies of the West. It would seem that in its constancy of character, both in its virtues and in its defects, the Chinese civilization, listen to this, is to be accepted as the model type of a civilization to a greater degree than on any of the other civilizations of the world. That's what the United Nations says today. Because it doesn't have any sacredness to human life. We don't have it either in the West. We are secular humanists. We understand that or not. Look into the meaning. You find out that you are. It's been brainwashed into you basically through your education and the media but it's, 
is so interesting to say that, that these guys wrote about this in the 1950s. In the 1950s. World government. It says here, he goes on about fuel and upcoming fuel problems and how fields returned into creating fuel, biofuel, 1950s. Way ahead of what we are told. See, we're living a script, a plan. It's that simple. He says, in this case, North America might fall into four or five provinces and Western Europe into one or two. It's never to be expected there will be any permanence about the numbers of them or about their boundaries. But then he goes into the setting up of a complete North American Union and a European Union as well. And what happens then and beyond that too? Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. I'm trying to show people how we're guided through plans, plans that were made long ago, published, and discussed at big, top-level meetings, not least much in secrecy. They always mention something in newspapers. They don't tell you the content, the actual real content of the meetings, but books do come out, which are generally ignored by the general public. They're not terribly exciting or sexy, and we're given lots of trivia to divert us into other things or crisis, which they keep throwing at us too, to keep us uh, off balance. It's important to keep people off balance when you're taking them down. Very important, just like boxing. And Sir Charles Galton Darwin, this great benefactor of mankind, talks about world government. And he said here, he said, in page 192, it is too much to expect that there could ever be a permanent world government benevolently treating all of them on a perfect equality. Such an institution could only work during the rare occasions of a worldwide golden age. He's talking about total employment and so on. But then he goes into talking about how the government really works. He says there will never be an ill feeling and jealousy between the provinces, just about the world being split into provinces, with each believing that it's not getting its fair share of the good things, and in fact would be like the state of affairs with which we are all too familiar. If then there is there ever going to be a world government, it will have to function as governments do now. So he's very pragmatic and honest. In the sense that it will have to coerce a minority, and indeed it might often be a majority, into doing things they do not want to do. That's the real purpose of government, because there's a different agenda than you know. And here's a guy who tells governments, or told governments what to do, he and the groups that he belonged to. The Royal Society, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, and the CFR, and so on. And then he goes into to this in page 191. If the fuel problem, this is the 1950s, is solved completely, you saw the growing biofuels and so on, so that mechanical power and transportation is available in the future to a greater extent than the present, then the provinces will be large. For example, the whole of Europe may well be one, and the whole of North America another. You see? He also goes through the entire agenda of coming starvations in different regions of the world, including the West, by the way. And that is on the, the, the cards because 
if you look into, and I've mentioned this many times before, the guys who are in charge of monitoring the world's food supply and setting up all the institutions to deal with the world's food supply is a raw issue for international affairs. Look into their website. They've been at this for at least 15 years full-time with many different think tanks and workers working on, on the coming food shortages. It's all planned that way because, after all, they plan to bring the population down to a very small number. And he tells you in this book, the ones who are going to survive, they're going to be the high scientific elite, the ones who have no problems denying any deities or superstitions of any kind. They'll be pragmatic people who are the intellectual class, basically. And he's absolutely confident that through genetic manipulation, they can better the race that will serve them. And that's where we are now on the, on the race towards creating a population of perfect servants. That's what it's all about in genetic engineering, the human genome project and everything. That's why it's been rushing full steam ahead for years, because it was on the agenda. That's why. And they were doing it long before we heard of it. Long before we heard of it. It's far older than Dolly the Sheep. Far, far older. That's the rubbish they feed the public. It says here, this is the future that's coming up. Those who find the bad conditions of work supportable will be willing to work harder and for less reward. In the broad sense of the term, they're more efficient than the others because they get more done for less pay. There are, of course, many exceptions for real skill will get its reward, but in the long run it is inevitable that the lower types of labor will have an exceedingly precarious life. One of the triumphs of our own golden age has been that slavery has been abolished over a great part of the earth. It's difficult to see how this condition can be maintained in the hard world of the future with its starving margins, and it's, it's to be feared that all too often a fraction of humanity will have to live in a state which, whatever it may be called, will be indistinguishable from slavery. Very pragmatic, you see. I mean, he's being honest, isn't he? They're making this happen. This is the agenda. This is the agenda. He also talks about those who will, who will run the cultures, which they already do. He says, maybe guess it will be what I call the mountaineers. He's talking about the people who will own the, the, the top uh, mountainous areas of the planet, very important part of this whole agenda, because over the last 20 years, the wealthy people have been buying up old ski resorts and everything, but especially if they have rivers near them. He's talking about coming uh, hydroelectric uh, power that will power the world, and whole areas of the earth set aside for creating power and energy for the rest. That's what's happening right now. This was 50 years before we heard of it. And he published this. He says, And those who will become dominant through their wealth, uh, they will tend to have the highest culture, since culture most easily comes from the leisure created by wealth. Only the leisure class can go ahead with their culture. We simply adopt what we see. You should say, as the king goes and the queen goes, we, we all adopt their fashions, their style, and even their mode of speaking, in fact, which is more prevalent in England than anywhere else. So there's nothing new under the sun, nothing new at all. Even talks about the need to start pushing for population control all over the Western world, and I'll go into this after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
what? We're cutting for the matrix. Talking about very unpleasant things, but that's what you have to know if you truly do want to alter the world in a different direction and you want at least humanity to survive, at least those around you, their offsprings or someone, you know, offsprings to survive what's coming. Otherwise, you can just bury your head in the sand and bewail yourself, bemoan what's happening around you, which is all planned. It truly is all planned this way. And I've been talking, too, about what's happening in China. Just don't worry about them, because China's had thousands of years of dealing with population control. Thousands of years. Again, Huxley goes into this in great detail, or Sir Charles Galton Darwin, I should say. You get them confused because they're like clones of each other in a literal sense, because they, they spill all the same stuff. It's all the same topics, because this is their favorite hobbies, you see. And they all belong to the same associations, the ones that still run the world today. In page 183, he says, now here's where he gets really excited. It's in the biological sciences that the most exciting possibilities suggest themselves, perhaps because biology has only recently shown rapid advances like those made earlier in the inorganic sciences. I'll only speculate on a few among these possibilities which might have great effects on human life. He's really talking about culling off the people. You understand how they word things. I've already referred to the possibility of quite new, new sources of food, and I need not enlarge on that further. He doesn't go into that because he knew darn well they're going to genetic modification a long time ago. Another type of discovery may be connected with hormones. This is very interesting. Those internal chemical secretions which so largely regulate the operations of the human body. The artificial use of hormones has already been shown to have profound effects on the behavior of animals, and it seems quite possible that hormones or perhaps drugs might have similar effects on man. And I'll repeat what I said earlier. Look into my website and look at the link to the video from the CBC on the fact that humanity in the West is going sterile because of these artificial hormones We'll be consuming in our foods for about 50 years. Around the time this was written, in fact. The artificial use of hormones has been shown to profound effects on the behavior of animals, and it's quite possible that hormones, or perhaps drugs, may have similar effects on men. You can't tell this guy apart, really, from the Huxleys. And they all knew each other very, very well, because they all belonged to the same clubs, you see. For example, there might be a drug which, without other harmful effects, removed the urgency of sexual desire and so reproduced in humanity the status of workers in a beehive. It's not a wonderful objective to go for, isn't it? Hmm? Or there might be another drug that produced a permanent state of contentment in the recipient. After all, alcohol does something like this already, although it has other disadvantages and is only temporary in its effects. Usually for a permanent effect, you see. A dictator would certainly welcome the compulsory administration of the contentment drug to his subjects. Albu Huxley said the same thing. Why? Because they're all at the same meetings, you see, when they planned introducing the stuff into the, the, the food supplies of the peoples. Which is another possible, and this is interesting too, the rather remoter discoveries suggest that the most curious consequences, that this is the most... This is the control of the relative numbers of the two sexes. Now, some about China earlier and how they have more males and females. You don't have to worry about it. 
says that the sex of a child is carried by the sperm, not the ovum. And it's least imaginable that some method could be found for sorting out those of the sperm cells which carry the male or the female character. It would thus become possible to regulate how many men or women there should be in a population. These guys are utter control freaks. Utter control freaks. But this is the utopia they're talking about. And they can bring it off, by the way. They're already almost there. If such a practice could be developed, it is sure that for a time there would be a great unbalance in populations. A nation with ambitions for conquest would produce a large number of men for its soldiers, but would pay for it by not having enough women to give birth to the soldiers for succeeding generations, so short term for that purpose. On the other hand, just as a stock breaker keeps few bulls and many cows, another nation might decide that it needed few men in order to maintain its numbers. Would such a predominantly female population be able to stand up against the male one, or would a rape of the Sabine woman rectify the disproportions? It is clear that the most remarkable effects will be produced if such developments in biological science should come about, and it's quite impossible to conjecture how they will turn out. I can only record the opinion that in the long run their efforts will mainly cancel out for the reason I have developed in an earlier chapter, that man is and will continue to be a wild animal. To produce effects of these kinds, there must be a master, and the master must be above and not subject to the procedure he is enforcing on his subjects. They understand the elite don't eat what we eat. They don't get the inoculations that we get. See, what he's talking about here was already starting in his time and being introduced on the population. And they could not tell the population who they refer to as, as he did too. He always compares you to the animals. That's all we are to them, as animals. We're animals. So to repeat that last part, to produce effects of this kind, of these kinds, there must be a master, and the master must be above and not subject to the procedure he's enforcing on his subjects. The dictator could not afford himself to take the containment drug because if he did so, his capacity for rule would certainly degenerate. It always comes back to the same point, that to carry out any policy systematically in such a way as permanently to influence the human race, there would have to be a master breed of humanity, not itself exposed to the conditions it is inducing in the rest. The master breed, being wild animals, would be subject to all the fashions, tastes, and passions of humanity as we know it, and so would never have the constancy to establish for generation after generation a consistent policy which could materially alter the nature of mankind. In connection with the recent wonderful, wonderful advances in medical science, this is the place to mention a matter that will very soon indeed be of immediate importance. Since a normal condition of the world, there will be a margin of every population on the verge of starvation, it seems likely that there will have to be a revision of the doctrine of the sanctity of the individual human life. And that's what we're seeing now. I mentioned this blitz is on for a month, maybe the follow-up for one or two months, or maybe even three months, on the need to depopulate fast. This is all from the same institutions and the foundations who fund them, as Huxley and Charles Gorton Darwin belong to. It seems likely that it will have to be a revision of the doctrine of the sanctity of the individual human life. 
the United Nations said that the individual is the enemy. We are one, right? We're all one. One big hunk of animals, basically. According to these boys at the top. And if we're individuals and we believe in the sanctity of the individual human life, obviously we're an enemy to this agenda. That's why we've got to all be one. And don't look at the nasty things in life. Be happy. Just be happy. Take your contentment drug. And the New Age religions are just that too. They're contentment drugs. It says, in the old days, the doctors were under the obligation of doing all they could to preserve any life, though they had no great success in their efforts. Now it's hardly too much to say that most diseases have come under control, or anyway, or anyhow to judge by recent progress. Most of them soon will. But is the world the better for having a large number of healthy people dying of starvation rather than letting them die of malaria? That's why they withdrew DDT, by the way. One of the justified boasts of recent times has been the great uh, decrease that medicine has made in infant mortality. Whereas in the old days a mother might bear ten children and have only two survive, now she may bear only three, and she will be regarded as very unlucky if all do not survive. But the difficulty in the world is going to be that the number of people born is too great for the food supplies, so that a fraction must die anyhow. May it not be better than they should die in infancy. One of the biggest industries we've got is the abortion industry. And we think nothing, nothing, nothing of it. It says here, The truth is that all our present codes about the sanctity of human life are based on the security of life as it is at present. And once that is gone, it will inevitably be revised. And the revision will probably shock most of our present opinions. What would shock him? Because he was in the planning of it. Governments have been at war with farmers since before and during and after World War II. They've paid them not to grow stuff, to keep prices up. They gave them little freebies, to get them, like tax-exempt things and so on, which they fell for. They always give them a bait and they fall for it. Then governments come in and start dictating what they can do and what they can't do. Then start going under, going out of business. Too much hassle. The big, the big corporations that own the whole agricultural industries now, but five of them across the planet, have the world's food supply in their hands. And they also belong to the same societies as Sir Charles Galton Darwin and all the rest of that ilk. So they're bringing all this about, you see. Because remember, they want to bring us down to almost about half a million people in the perfect utopia. And they've worked intergenerationally for hundreds of years on the same agenda to make it so. It talks about, in fact, the creation of uh, the big pharma industries as the farmers go out. It says, the general picture of the economic condition of the world, then, is that the chief centers of power production and so of the most elaborate civilization will be the regions where there is water power, that is, that is speaking rather loosely, mountainous regions. It will be these that are the centers of manufacture and they will exchange their manufacturers for surplus food produced in the agricultural regions. There will also be large power farms in various parts of the world storing energy, either by some direct mechanism or through the intermediary of, you're talking about vegetables, literally growing vegetables for fuel, like corn and so on. Green. 
astonishing, eh? And we, we think if we're told by the media, which is owned by the same corporations that run these guys, still today, that we're just bumbling through time here and politicians are trying their best to just deal with the, the crisis that suddenly came out of nowhere unexpectedly. It's astonishing. It talks about creeds. Creeds are religions. Remember what Bertrand Russell said. There's no nonsense so arrant that it cannot be made. The creed, the belief of the vast majority by adequate government action. That was Lord Bertrand Russell, a great power, these boys, all working for the same royal society. So it's just about using, creating a eugenic creed, a eugenic creed. says here, is it possible that there should arise a eugenic creed, this is page 203, which perhaps working through what I've called the method of unconscious selection, should concern itself with improvement of the inherent nature of man, instead of resting content with merely giving him good but impermanent acquired characters. Without such a creed, a creed man's nature will only be changed through the blind operation of natural selection. With it he might aspire to do something towards really changing his destiny. To conclude, I have cited the past history of China as furnishing the type of an enduring civilization. It seems to provide a model to which the future history of the world may be expectedly, expected broadly to conform. Isn't it astonishing, as I say, that from the, the CFR and the publications, the magazine, Foreign Relations magazine, they call it, and from the United Nations and all through academia, all they've been doing is parting this man for the last 50-odd years with his great visions of the future, which he didn't say came through a crystal ball or reading the stars. It came because that was the agenda already set out and sworn to by oaths. And we're simply living through their plan. So China to be a model to which the future history of the world may be expected broadly to conform. <clears throat> the scale will, of course, be vastly, altogether vaster, and the variety of happenings cannot by any means be foreseen. I believe that the underlying ground theme can be foreseen, and in a general way it will be rather like the history of the Chinese Empire. The regions of the world, regions, right, will fall into provinces of ever-changing extent. Now, you see that with the European Union. It keeps altering the numbers within it. See, that even up to this present step, they've got, he's got the, 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 the amalgamated Americas in here from the 1950s. It's got the European Union completed, basically. This is then going to a phase of, of alteration between getting larger and smaller as different provinces fall away for a century or two or, or they're left to die, basically, because they can't produce enough. And, and that kind of scenario... And how they'll actually compete with each other. That's what we're told right now, that North America must amalgamate to compete with Europe and China. Well, how can you compete with the wages in China and live in the, in the, in the climates we live in? You can't do it. And they know this. And so should we. We should all think about this too when we hear these silly comments about competing with China from our politicians or the CFR guys who come out openly now telling us we have to. 
the same guys who drafted up the amalgamation of the Americas. We've got to go and compete with China. He goes on to say here, it says, but I believe that the underlying ground theme can be foreseen and that in a general way we rather like the history of the Chinese Empire. The regions of the world will follow the provinces of ever-changing extent which most of the time will be competing against one another. It's amazing, amazing how they write it all, all that time ago, eh? Occasionally, more rarely, as be the case in China, they'll be united by some strong arm into an uneasy world government, which will endure for a period until it falls by the inevitable decay that finally destroys all dynasties. Now, I've read the reports from the think tanks for the, next, for the rejections of the next 30 to 50 years from the U.S. think tank for the military think tank and the British one for NATO, and that they're, they're, they've taken everything from this book from the 1950s. Because they also said that civilization could unite for a while and then fall apart. It's intended to fall apart and go under through riots and deprivation and famine. That's why. But in the end run, there'll always be pockets of very high-tech civilization. That's what they all said. And that's what he's saying in this book as well. Only he was way ahead of them. So sometimes we're united by, by, into an uneasy world government, which will endure for a period until it falls, but a natural decay that finally destroys all dynasties. We'll be back with more of this after this break. for the Matrix and showing you how everything is laid out, one big agenda, one big business plan, and how we are simply living generation through generation, right through the whole plan itself. And it's all, everything you read today is reiteration of the big players and what they published 50 to 100 years ago. It's the same organization running the world today, the same boys who set up China, the same guys who drafted up the GATT treaties and, and made China... Uh, the most favored nation, uh, trading nation status, gave it to them. They created communism for China as well, because it's not real communism at all. It's an oligarch in China, and science rules over China and, and pragmatism. As I say, pragmatism is a very important word to use when dealing with these particular characters. They talked about creating a eugenic creed, a belief system, but part of it would be to train the people, or I mean, the people believe that they had to perish to save the few. And also training the elite to have more children as a, as a sacred duty to pass on the better genes to the surviving species, you see. It's astonishing, and that's exactly where we're going. And it even gives you hints at the green movement it creates 50-odd years ago. A creed, a belief system. And you have all these greenies parroting the stuff that's been handed to them, thinking it's their own idea. It talks about after the world government, because that's only part of the strategy. That's the, like the end of the chess game. And then afterwards, they have pockets of civilization, high-tech, that will survive across the planet. And he goes on to it here. He says, there will be periods when some of the provinces relapse into barbarism. And that's what we're hearing about now from the big think tanks, repeating the same stuff that he wrote about, he and others of his kind, wrote about 50 years ago. The coming riots, the food riots, according to the big military think tanks, advisors to the, think, to the military in 
Europe and the US and Canada. All the time, civilization will survive, and some of them, it will survive because it will, based, it will be based on a single universal culture derived from the understanding of science. For it's only through this understanding that the multitudes can continue to live. On this basic culture, there will be overlaid other cultures, often possessing a greater emotional appeal, which will vary according to climate and race from one province to another. Most of the time, over most of the earth, there will be severe pressure from excess populations, and there will be periodic famines. That's what's coming up, and it's all over the CFR's websites, because they're planning all this stuff. They're actually they're managing it. <laughs> they're managing the coming problems with food. There will be a consequent callousness about the value of the individual's life. We're getting hammered with that. Now you're nothing. Apathy, as Bertrand Russell says, you've got to create apathy. And often there will be cruelty to, to agree, which we do not willingly think. They're tasering the people and all the rest of it. You know, there's nothing for cops to shoot folk anymore. This, however, is only one side of the history. On the other side, there will be vast stores of learning, far beyond anything we can now imagine. And the intellectual stature of man will rise to ever higher levels. And sometimes new discoveries will for a time relieve the human race from its fears. And there will be golden ages, ages plural, where man may for a time be free to create wonderful flowerings in science, philosophy, and the arts. Isn't that just dandy? Doesn't that make you feel better now? And that all the sacrifice is worth it? I, I hope we'll sleep well tonight, won't we? Because these monsters are truly in charge of the world and all academia and all of the governments, and they advise all the governments through the same think tanks and the front organizations they have. Well, that's it for tonight. From Hamish, myself, and to your Canada, it's good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you.